Amen. All right. Good evening, everyone, once again. Um, hope our week went well. So we're going to write into today's topic. By the way, if you were not around for um, a fiscal meeting, well, I wouldn't say you missed, but it was great. Um, it was really great. We'll make the recordings available before the end of this week. So just watch out. Uh, we just need to edit some things, you know, um, cut, join, clip out some things. We'll make it available before the end of this, um, before the end of this week by God's grace. All right. So today we're looking at walking in the spirit. Okay. Uh, like I said on, I said this, I think two weeks ago, and I also said this, I said this last week, and I also said this on Sunday, on Saturday, where we met physically, that for the next couple of weeks, we'll be focusing on the Holy Spirit and we're going to explore his work and his ministry in our lives as well as his person in our lives. All right. So today we are talking, uh, we're looking at walking in the Spirit. First of all, let me ask us before we proceed, what do, what do we understand by walking in the Spirit? When we say walk in the Spirit, what actually comes to your mind or what is the impression you get? If I tell you, for instance, I'm walking in the spirit, what do you think I mean? Or if someone tells you um, the person is walking in the spirit, what would your understanding of that be? All right. Let me hear your responses. Anyone, what does walking in the spirit mean for you? What does walking in the spirit mean for you? Let me look at uh, my mixed community, okay? What does walking in the spirit mean for you? Anybody? Um, Tosin, let me call you call you first. Just tell me anything you mean, right? Um, anything you understand. On on Mixelar, right? Before you go ahead, Tosin, on Mixelar, um, Idara says um, walking in the spirit to her means being led by the Holy Spirit. All right? Great. So being led by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Idara. Um, all right, Tosin, what does walking in the spirit mean for mean to you yep 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 we're listening just you're muted in just case you're speaking and um, if you can't speak um, then just drop it in the chat yeah we can hear you Okay, so being directed by the Holy Spirit, listening to whatever He tells you and following it promptly. All right, awesome. Um, walking the Spirit, great. Um, who else wants to share what does walking the Spirit mean to you? When we walk in the Spirit, what does that mean? Good. So that means when we, whenever we don't gratify the desires of our flesh, it means we are walking in the spirit. All right. Good. One more person. What does walking in the spirit mean to you? 
walk in the spirit. Is it when I'm when I'm when I have a strong face and I'm like, mm, 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 yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Is that walking the spirit or what I mean, what does it mean to you really? One more person. Edith Young, do you want to help us out? What does walking the spirit mean to you? Awesome. So denying what your flesh wants to do, um, just like Faith said. There was something said at the beginning again. Please remind me. Okay, so denying what your flesh wants to do, right? And this is a daily walk for every believer. Great. Thank you very much. All right, so let's go back to our slides. Um, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. Sonship, please read if you are there. We're reading from Galatians chapter 5, verse, 20, um, verse 16, sorry. To verse 26. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 to 26. That's about 11 verses. So please read if you are there. Okay, let me read that then. It says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh or gratify the lust of the flesh. Um, like Faith had mentioned earlier. Then he says, verse 17, For the flesh lusted after, against the spirit. The word lust there means um, the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. All right. So for instance, if the flesh wants to go left, the spirit wants to go right. So sometimes if you don't know, if you don't know what the spirit wants, right, just look at what the flesh wants and and do the opposite. That will be exactly what the spirit wants. So basically saying that it's the desires of the flesh and desires of the spirit or the spirit never merge. They never intersect at any point in time. They are always contrary to each other. And it says, um, and these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Verse 18, but if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19 says, now the works of the flesh are manifest. So what Paul began to do in this place was to help us, was to give us um, details of the operations of the work of the flesh in order for us to recognize what the work of the flesh is. Because if I just say um, the work of the flesh is, if I just say don't walk in the flesh, you ask yourself, so what are the works of the flesh and how do I even know I'm, I'm not currently walking in the flesh? So to help our understanding, Paul begins to list out certain activities that represent walking in the flesh. Okay? And he says, um, the work of the flesh um, are manifest. And he says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, idolatry, witchcraft, um, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, verse 21, envies, murders, drunkenness, rebellions and such like of which i tell you before now by the way when he says and such like what this implies is that 
This is not even the complete list. There, there are still other op operations, other works of the flesh that are not included in this list. So this list that Paul gave us was not an exhaustive list. But he gave us this list so that we fundamentally have an idea, right, of what the works of the flesh is. Just in case humanity evolves to accommodate a certain kind of the work of the flesh, we would know from the pattern of what has been listed that this activity is a work of the flesh. All right? So verse 21 continues. He says, Of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they who do, do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Temperance, he says, Against such there is no law. Verse 24, And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with their affections and lusts. Which similar to what um, Faith said, um, Edidion also said that when we walk in the in the Spirit, we are crucifying the desires of the flesh, all right, and then we are yielding to the Spirit of God. So it says, those that are in Christ have crucified the flesh. Meaning, one of the ways you identify those that are in Christ is that these people in Christ have crucified the flesh and their desires and their affections and the lust and everything. Then verse 25, which is actually what I'm going to say is, If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So Paul said this, made this statement after he talked about us crucifying the flesh. And, um, and after he talked about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, then he goes on to say in verse 25 that if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Then verse 26 says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Alright? So, if we live in the Spirit, Paul says, Let us also walk in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Okay? And this is what we want to explore briefly today. By the way, today's Bible study, I think it would be really simple and, um, and pro probably even short. Actually, but just a very important concept of our spiritual growth that I want us to look at today, right? And this is walking in the spirit. So Paul is probably say that if we claim we live in the spirit, then let it show by our conduct, let it show by our activities. Let us walk in the spirit. Other versions say, let us keep in step with the spirit. In fact, I like the way um, New International. New International Trans, sorry, New English Translation, right? Um, puts it. Please, you can read for us from the NET. That is New English Translation. Read verse twenty-five from New English Translation. I'm trying to open it here. Um, anyone there? Verse twenty-five. Okay, let me read it. It says here that if we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Alright? So, if we live by the Spirit, if our lives are derived by the Spirit, then our behavior should be in accordance with the source of our lives. Alright? If we live in the Spirit, then we should also behave in accordance with the Spirit, which is, in summary, what, what walking in the Spirit actually means. That our conduct, our behavior, our character, our lifestyle represents and accurately reflects 
the source of our life, which is the spirit. All right. Um, um, Amplified says, if we live by the Holy Spirit, let us also walk by the spirit. If by the Holy Spirit we have our life in God, let us go forward walking in line, our conduct controlled by the Spirit. So the person who walks in the Spirit is the person whose conduct is controlled by the Spirit. And this already debunks the notion that walking in the Spirit is some represents or reflects a spectacular experience. No. Walking in the Spirit, in the spirit is not a spectacular experience. It's not... It's not so when someone, for instance, when someone is someone has a vision, or when someone you know is inspired to give prophecy, or when someone um, you know is manifesting the gift of the spirit, that is not what is what it means to walk in the spirit. Walking in the spirit rather boils down to our daily conduct and our lifestyle. Okay, so I'm sure it says, let our conduct be controlled by the spirit. So I'll ask you, brother man or sister woman, if you are if you are if your conduct is not consistent with the spirit of god even though you are manifesting the gift of the spirit then you are not walking in the spirit does that make sense so you know there are cases when and this is common among believers as well where if you find them in church you will absolutely love them you when they're in church they are they are, they are in high spirits they are awesome they are lovely and then okay let's say you say oh this person is nice oh let me become his friend and then you check them outside church and you cannot relate their behavior outside church and when they're in church, all right? Or after outside the gathering of believers and when they are within believers. That means their daily conduct, their daily lifestyle is not, is not consistent with the conduct of the Holy Ghost, okay? So that what to walk in the Spirit simply means our conduct being in accordance with the Holy Ghost, all right? But there's something else I want to point attention to, which I want us to clarify. You know, Paul said, if we live in the Spirit, all right, let us also walk in the Spirit. That places a condition to this statement. Because he says, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Meaning the opportunity to walk in the Spirit is only available to those who live in the Spirit. Okay? And so this now brings up another question. What does it mean to live in the spirit? If Paul says Paul, Paul's statement in verse 25 is quite is very conditional. He says that if we live in the spirit, then let us walk in the spirit. Meaning, if somebody doesn't live in the spirit, the person doesn't need to walk in the spirit. For instance, if you say that um if you say that that if you live now, I, I, I live in Lagos State, for instance, currently. I say, if you live in Lagos State, make sure you pay your taxes to Lagos State government, for instance. Now, if somebody doesn't live in Lagos State, this statement doesn't apply to him. But if the person lives in Lagos State, then there's an expectation for him to pay his taxes to Lagos State. So the question now is, if we live in the spirit, what does it mean to live in the spirit? All right. And a scripture that helps answer this easily Romans chapter 8, verse 8 to 9. So let us turn to that. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 to 9. Please read if you are there. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 to 9. Anybody there should come to our rescue. Romans chapter 8, 
very much for that um um this nlt doesn't so doesn't capture a a practical terminology that i want to emphasize on so permit me to read from the king james all right um just to show i want to capture something that explains that gives us an answer to my question so it says um okay let me read verse eight again so then they that are in the flesh cannot please god those that yield to the flesh cannot please god all right Verse 9 then goes on to say that, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. So Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. And then he concludes by saying, if any man doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he's none of his. But my emphasis is on the first statement, that you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. Meaning, how do I tell somebody that is in the spirit? The answer is, does the spirit of God dwell in that person? If yes, then the person is in the spirit. All right. Remember in Galatians, Paul made a gave us a continual statement, right? In verse chapter 5, verse 25, where we just read, he said, If the spirit of God, so if we live in the spirit, right, let us also walk in the spirit. So the question is, how do I know if I live in the spirit or not? The answer to that question is what Romans tells us here, that you are in the spirit if the spirit of God lives in you. Meaning you are living in the spirit if the spirit of God lives in you. All right. I know it sounds, um, it sounds, I mean, it sounds interesting in, in English, but that's how it is. You are in the spirit if the spirit of God lives in you. Okay. So Galatians 5.25 therefore applies to every believer, everyone who has given his life to Christ lives in the spirit because the spirit of God lives in him. And why do I say so? The same verse 9 where we read, the concluding part says that if anybody does not have the spirit of Christ, the person does not belong to Christ. So the real proof of our salvation is not that we, we, it's not that we go to church or it's not that we have a very big Bible. The proof of our salvation is that the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts. All right? And if the Holy Spirit dwells in our hearts, that means we are in the spirit. And if we are in the spirit, the expectation is that we should walk in the spirit. All right? Please, I hope this is not confusing. Let me take that again. If the spirit of God dwells in our hearts, that means we are in the spirit. And this is what Romans 8 verse 9 um, tells us. If the spirit of God dwells in our hearts, that means we are in the spirit. Okay? And if we are in the spirit, then God's expectation is for us to walk in in the spirit so if we live in the spirit god's expectation is for us to walk in the spirit meaning if we live in the spirit god's expectation is for our conduct to re reflect and represent the domain that we are hosted in okay now this takes me to the next slide i said here that <clears throat> when we get saved we are relocated to a spiritual location termed in the spirit just like what Paul says in Galatians, that if you live in the Spirit, that suggests to us 
that there is such a spiritual location called in the spirit. All right. So when we get saved, we are relocated to that place called in the spirit. <clears throat> sorry, in the spirit, and this serves serves as the base as the base rather for all our operations. Meaning everything we do will come from that location in the spirit. And please don't don't look at this from a spooky um, perspective. Right? Let's just take the word as plain as the Bible has put it. So if we are born again, we therefore are moved to a spiritual location or we are translated to a spiritual location called in the spirit. All right? And I said that all our, our, all our operations are expected to stem from that spiritual location. That, that relocation occurred when we gave our lives to Christ. All right? So let's read. We've already read Romans 8 verse 9. So I want us to just read Colossians 1 verse 12 to 13 and see something. Um, I'll just read that quickly. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, the book of Colossians, all right? So it says here that, Giving thanks unto the Father, which had made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So the Father, the, the word meet there means qualified. Who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light take note of the word in light meaning there's also such a place referred to as in light and i said here if, uh, in the slide that this spiritual location termed in the spirit is also what is referred to as light or as in the light so god migrated us from darkness and that's what verse 13 says he says who has delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated translated us into the kingdom of his dear son so God moved us from the domain, from the from the domain of darkness, and moved us into the domain of light. Okay, and that domain is what we, is also referred to as in the spirit. That's why Paul said, if we live in the spirit, if we live in the domain of the spirit or the domain of light, as Colossians puts it, then the expectation is that we should walk in the spirit. All right. Lastly, um, on this point, Ephesians chapter five. Just to show us this correlation. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 to 9. Alright. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 to 9. It says, For you, you know what, let's start from verse 7. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Then he says, walk as children of the light. Alright, so he says, Yes, walk as children of the light. So Paul, again, was saying that at some point you were, you were darkness, you were in the world, but now you've become, true, you've become light in the Lord. He now says, walk as children of the light. So there's the, there's the emphasis on, on walking again. Just like he said in Galatians that if you are in the Spirit, if you live in the Spirit, then walk in the Spirit. Now he says, if you are children of light, then walk as, if you are, if you are light rather, then walk ye as children of the light. What he was trying to say in essence is, if you have been moved to the domain of light, then walk in accordance with the with the domain of light, or in accordance with the character of light that you, or, or character of light, right, where you reside in. The same way he said, if you are in the spirit, walk in, in accordance with the conduct and the character of the spirit, all right? Why I'm bringing this out is just to show you that there's an expectation for us as believers that if God has translated us, moved us to a new location spiritually, okay, 
there's an expectation for our conduct and our character to reflect the government of that location. That is exactly what I'm trying to say. All right? That God has moved us from domain of darkness to the kingdom of light, then our conduct should reflect the kingdom that we now belong to. God has, and Paul says, if we live in the spirit, then let us also walk in the spirit. But one point, I want you to look at something in this same Ephesians. Verse 9, all right? I just read verse 8, so let's read verse 9. Verse 9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Think about it. Paul just finished talking about being, us being, um, uh, being moved from the domain of darkness to uh, become light. And he encourages us to walk as children of light. And the very next verse, he says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and kindness. So the very next verse, Paul begins to make reference to the fruit of the Spirit. The, just the same way in Galatians that it was in the same context, right? If you read verse um, verse 16, where Paul says, if we um, if we walk in the spirit, we will not gratify the desire of, of the flesh. Then he goes on to explain the works of the flesh and then the fruit of the spirit. In that same context, right, of us walking in the spirit, Paul began to talk about the fruit of the spirit. What this suggests to us is that there is a direct correlation between walking in the spirit and exemplifying the fruit of the spirit all right i hope that's clear enough there's a direct correlation between walking in the spirit and then exemplifying the fruit of the spirit we see that again galatians chapter 5 where we read if you look at verse 16 i mean the whole context from verse 16 to 18 where we read you see that it's in the same um context and the same line of thought that Paul talks about walking in the Spirit, that he also talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And then here also in Ephesians, Paul, Paul talks about us walking as children of light, and then he now talks, he now makes reference to um, the fruit of the Spirit. So it is safe to say that there is a direct correlation between walking in the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. So, okay, okay let, let, let's continue before I, I jump into that. I said here that, slide that it is possible for a believer to live in the spirit and not walk in the spirit all right just as a citizen can live in his country and yet not uphold the civil expectations of that country meaning that it is possible for instance um you know have you ever have you ever have you ever um let me think of let me see this way Okay, good. Let me use my, myself as an example. So, I finished from a certain university, right? And there's something that we typically pride ourselves in, right? Is that if we see a fellow alumnus of the university, even, even though we don't know this person, or we didn't know this person while in school, but just from the person's behavior and conduct, we can tell that this person finished, we finished from the same school with this person. And that is true for the most part. However, there are certain exceptions. There are certain people... You know, we see and we see their behavior, we see their conduct, and we are like, this person can, can could never have finished from the university I finished from. And then we find out and we now see that actually the person finished from the same university. And we are shocked and we are saying, how can you finish from this prestigious university and still behave like this? That means the person is not working in the character of the university that he finished from, right? Does that make sense? Um, it's the same way too that it's possible for a believer to live in the spirit, okay? So this believer has been saved, is born again, but yet not walk in the character of the spirit. And it is this possibility I want us to explore um, briefly today with the time we have left, okay? 
It is possible for a believer to be born again, saved, washed by the blood of Jesus, but you look at his character and it doesn't reflect the environment that God has brought him into spiritually. You look at his behavior, you look at his words, you, know, you hear his words, sorry, and you cannot, you, you, it doesn't reflect the fact that this person is a believer. And in fact, you now begin to ask yourself, are you sure you are really saved? All right. So I want us to explore this possibility um, today. Okay. Um, all right. So let's proceed. Now, um, Galatians, now having known this possibility, right, let's go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I want to read, okay, um, we'll just read, we'll read verse 16, we'll go straight down to, to verse 19, all right? Because there's something I want to point out, um, I'll just make it a little detail here, but I want to point out something. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest. Now, do you notice that when he was talking about the flesh, he talks about works. And when he talks about the spirit, he talks about fruits. Okay? Meaning, the thing, the, 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 um, what is, what the spirit produces has to be nurtured. Just like a fruit has to be nurtured. All right? But what the flesh produces is by default. That's why it is referred to as the works of the flesh. That you don't need to, I mean, which again is a product of the fallen man, fallen nature. Sorry, you don't need to, you don't need to teach the flesh how to do certain things. By default, it will manifest it. That's why the Bible refers to it as the works of the flesh. But when it comes to the aspect of the spirit, it calls it the fruit of the spirit, because just like every fruit, it do, it has to grow. It doesn't appear automatically. There's a process of growth. Okay, and that's because the default nature of of humans is that of the fallen is the fallen nature all right and then god has to go through a system of education and growing so that we can manifest the fruit of the spirit for instance you won't you don't need to teach a child how to lie a child will just lie without any education you don't need to teach a, a, a child how to steal the flesh has the child who was born it was born you know when you buy a, when you buy your laptop it most times comes with an operating system okay in the laptop for instance, you buy a HP, it will come with a Windows operating system. Or you buy a MacBook, it comes with the uh, Mac OS operating system, right? So, in the same way, the child, by default, comes with an inbuilt operating system of the falling nature. God will have to now install a superior operating system in that child to begin to, you know, manifest different results. That is how it is. So, that's why it is called the works of the flesh and it is called the fruit of the spirit, all right? Now... The works of the flesh, okay? Let's go right again, verse 19. It says, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, verse 20, idolatry, and then it says, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, stripes, seditions, heresies. There was a, there's a word here that the first time I read it, I, I my, my mouth dropped. I was like, ah, huh? what's this? So it is the word witchcraft, all right? And so I want to take a, I want to make a little detour on that particular word witchcraft. And through on this journey, on this detour we make, we just want, want to make a side. So just take take this as side gist, okay? Take this part of the Bible study as side gist. So in this side gist, we want to see what happens when one persists in the work of the flesh. Because when we look at the word witchcraft, I mean, especially if you are from Nigeria, you would have a particular idea of what or what witchcraft is. All right, 
But yet the Bible lists witchcraft as the work of the flesh. It doesn't say witchcraft is a work of the spirit or is a work of demons. It, it's listed as the work of the flesh. So I want to make a little detour on this particular particular um, word or particular, yeah, particular work of the flesh and let us explore it. And in exploring this, we'll re arrive at a conclusion that is consistent for every other work of the flesh, okay? So let us proceed. However, before we proceed, um, I just want to be sure everyone is clear, right? And so if you are, we are on the same page, you understand so far, give me a thumbs up. Uh, let me know where we are together um, before I proceed. So give me a thumbs up or drop a comment in the chat if you have followed so far. Let me know we are together. Are we together? Okay, I see thumbs up from Faith. All right. Um, okay, thumbs up from Eddie Young. Thank you. Thumbs up from Nikkei. Thank you. Awesome, awesome. Any more thumbs up? Let me check my Miss LR community. Um, okay, group. Good. Um, Adiola says, yes, we're together. Great. So, we are together. Awesome, awesome. Now, let us proceed then. If we're together, we can proceed. We can proceed so we're making a little detour on the on the um, work of the flesh, all right? On the work of the flesh called witchcraft. So please follow me gradually. All right. So for for to to make this detour, right? We want to look at a case study called Saul, and we want to look at how he progressively deteriorated into something that could have been easily. Um, could have been easily controlled or easily um, um, corrected, all right? And before we go on, let me just state again that witchcraft as a work of the flesh is... Okay, no, let, let me say it this way. So witchcraft starts from the work of the flesh, right? Just like we read in Galatians, meaning that it first starts by a certain desire in the, in, in the human body, in the human flesh, all right? That's in the human nature, that's what I mean. So from that, it starts from that desire. However, if the desire progresses unchecked, then it deteriorates into something spiritual. Okay, and what is that desire? That desire is a con is a is a con is a desire to control the outcome of certain events or people without the help of the Holy Spirit. So let us read it. Firstly, let's look at First Samuel chapter thirteen. Remember, okay, let's go ahead first. First, first Samuel chapter 13. Please, I need your help, someone. Just read verse 8 to 14. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 8 to verse 14. Go ahead and read, please, if you are there. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 8 to verse 14. If you are reading, don't forget to unmute your mic so that we can hear you. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 8 to 14. Oh, no one coming to rescue? All right, let me read then. First Samuel chapter 13, verse 8 to 14. Now, this is background story. Hmm? Just background story before I read. At this point, Saul was already king. God had um, um God had God had led Samuel to anoint Saul as king, and then they are about going into a. They are about going into a battle, all right. And someone had instructed Saul to wait for him, 
all right and then um but samuel was delayed for for some reason if he was if, if this were happened in lagos i would say there was traffic okay so but samuel was delayed for some reason now let's read verse 8 and we'll continue the story and he tarried seven days according to the to the set time that samuel had appointed so samuel had told saul to wait for seven days and saul waited for seven days and uh, but the bible says but samuel came not to gilgal and the people were scattered from him so samuel didn't come after seven days and the people were scattered from him so that's Saul. so the people began to you know it became a chaotic situation um at the camp at that moment verse nine and i please i want you to mark some some phrases mark the phrase and the people were scattered from him okay now verse 10 says and it came to pass that as soon sorry verse 9 and Saul said bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings and he offered the burnt offering meanwhile Samuel had given Saul an instruction and said wait for me i will come and perform the sacrifice but Samuel looked sorry Saul looked at this situation these people were chaotic and and now why were they why were they why was there chaos in the camp because before they go to battle, they typically would inquire of the Lord. And that was what Samuel wanted to come and do. But for some reason, Samuel was delayed. Okay, And Saul saw that these people are, are beginning to go haywire. So in order to restore, to, to show that I'm in charge and to bring order, I'm going to do what I'm not qualified to do. All right. Because I don't, he, because he wants the people to, he wanted the people to, see him as an authority figure and to he wanted things to be under his control and so he went to sacrifice um make the sacrifice now verse 10 as soon as it's at sorry at, and it came to pass that as soon as he had made an entry offering that um samuel came and then saul went to greet him and samuel said in verse 11 what have you done and saul said look at look at saul's answer saul said because i saw that the people were scattered from me so his motivation was that the people were scattered from me. He felt, he, you know, he felt like as a leader, I cannot control these people. So I need to do something to get them under my control. All right. And so he said, because I saw that the people were scattered from me and that thou camest not within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore, said I, the people, the Philistines rather, will come down upon me to Gilgal and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. Listen to the next statement. He said, I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. Meaning, I'm sure at some point his mind was telling him, don't do it, don't do it. But he said, no, I need to do something to control the people. So his motivation was control because the people were scattered from him. He wanted to control the people. And so he forced himself. Even though, you know, like, like we said when we were children, one mind was telling him, don't do it. The other might say, do it. One might say, don't do it. Meaning, there was a tug of opinion in his heart. But he forced himself to do it. And, and the reason why he did this was to, to gain control over the people, was to control the people. All right? Now, at this point, Saul could have easily still managed his desire for control. Because, you know, when he said he forced himself, it showed that at some point he was conceiving, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? Should I not do it? So at this point, he was still in a safe zone, okay, where he could have disciplined himself to say, no, I will not do this thing. I will wait. I will not um, I will not go outside of my boundaries to exercise control. I will wait for Samuel to come and let, let, this, let this offering be done under the government of God, okay? 
But he here Saul said he forced himself. Now um verse where are we now? Where are we? Verse verse 13. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, thou hast not kept the commandment of the people. Um, and then on and on, God has sought someone after you. But I wanted you to look at the fact that it was because Saul wanted to control the outcome of an event. Things were getting out of his control, okay? They were waiting for Samuel. Samuel didn't come after seven days. Things were getting out of his control. And Saul wanted control. He, was, he wanted control. I mean, think about it. He was a king. He wanted to show that he was in charge. And because of that desire to control, he made a sacrifice that he was not authorized to make, all right? And he said, look at what he said, because he saw that the people were departing from him. So his desire was to control. At this point, this was still a work of the flesh. This was still categorized, categorized under the work of the flesh, all right? And the work of the flesh, right, witchcraft, witchcraft starts as a work of the flesh, and that is a desire to control the outcome of events or people, okay? And typically, if you ask anybody that is involved in witchcraft, in the, in the way we know it now, that is all the spiritual activities of witchcraft, it always starts from a desire to control an outcome or to control the outcome of an event or to control, you know, a person or a group of people. And at this point of, of Saul, it was just a work of the flesh, all right? Now, let's go again to chapter 15 and see something else. Chapter 15, verse 22. Chapter 15, verse 22 to 31. Um, chapter 15, verse 22 to 31. Again, background story, right? God had instructed Saul to go and destroy the, um, go and destroy the Amalekites, right? Destroy them completely. And God's instruction was, don't spare anything. Whether human beings or animals, don't spare anything. Destroy them completely. But Saul didn't obey that instruction to the latter. So look at verse 22. And Samuel said, okay, so when Samuel came eventually, Saul said, oh, I preserved the, the cattle, I preserved the best of cattle, sacrifice unto God. I was trying to explain rationally why he didn't obey the instructions completely. And Samuel said in verse 22 now, Had the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to hearken, that is to listen and to obey right now, um, meaning, right? That's what it means. It says to hearken than the fat of rams. Verse 23 says, For rebellion is the sin is as the sin of witchcraft. So Samuel began to educate Saul and said, see, when you rebel against God, when you go outside the government of God, it is equivalent to witchcraft. And this is where the, um, where the works of the flesh comes in. The work of the flesh, the flesh wants to rebel against the government of God, okay, to exercise control outside the government of God, all right? So Samuel began to educate Saul and said, rebellion is equivalent to the sin of witchcraft. And, and he says, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. He says, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Verse 24, and Saul said unto Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and thy words. Listen to the next phrase. He says, 
because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Again, this matter of the people came in. Remember in chapter 13 where we read, he said it was because of the people they're going out of control. So I wanted to, you know, make sure they're controlled and I, I disobeyed. Now again, Saul was disobeyed because of the people. He said, because I feared the people, meaning because I had more regard for the people, right? And I listened to their voice. In other words, he, he regarded the, um, the word of the people, their, their estimation, you know, of his leadership capacity over the instructions God gave him. You know, in Paul's, in Saul's mind, sorry, Saul was, was considered and saying, if I, if I don't do what these people say, they'll say I'm not a good leader, they'll say I'm not an effective leader. So let me do what they say so that I can get their submission, all right? And because of that, he disobeyed God. So what this means that initially he had the instruction, remember, the instruction was to, was to, um, was to Saul. God gave the instructions to Saul. So the people might not have been there when, when Samuel gave Saul the instruction. So Saul was again in a, in a, in a fix. He, he needed to decide which opinion or which side he would take. Whether to follow the instructions to destroy the people completely, destroy the enemies completely, or to listen to the voice of his people, all right, and, uh, in, and in keeping some of the sheep. Saul reasoned within himself and said, if I listen to the voice of these people, they'll be more loyal to me. So in order to gain their loyalty and which translates to more control, let me hack into their voice and listen to their voice. And so Saul didn't destroy everything as God instructed and he listened to the people's voice. And again, it says, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. The word fear there is not, is not, doesn't mean to be afraid. It means to, to regard, to show regard for the people. All right. Verse 25, now therefore I pray thee. So Paul was, was forming, you know, forming, um, what's the word now? Um, um, what's the word? What's the word when somebody feels sorry? Anyways, Saul was forming sorry, okay? And he said, now therefore I pray thee, pardon my sin and turn, turn again with me, that I may worship the people, or that I may worship the Lord. So Paul said, said to Samuel, ah, I've sinned though, but okay, forgive my sin and just follow me, follow me, let's go, let's go and worship God, let's go and make sacrifices. Look at verse 26, and Samuel said unto Saul, I will not return with you, for thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord had rejected thee from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned about to go away, he laid hold of his skirt of the skirt of his mantle and it rent. So Samuel was was turning away to go in anger, and Saul grabbed the edge of his his garment and he tore. And verse twenty eight says, and Samuel said unto the Lord, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day. And had given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for it's not a matter, it should repent. Verse 30 again. Then Saul came and said, I have sinned. Just, just listen to this mentality. All right. He says, Saul said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, I pray thee, before the elders of my people. You can imagine the F1 tree. Saul had just been rebuked for his wrongdoing. And, and Samuel was angry, he was about going, but um, Saul held the edge of Samuel's garment, he tore, and Samuel said, the, the kingdom has been torn from you. Yet Saul still had the gods to say, please Samuel, just follow me and honor me in front of these people. This shows the state of Saul's heart, that Saul was more concerned about his reputation before the people than he was about God's opinion um, about him. 
Okay? And says, follow me, I pray thee, um, and honor me now before the elders and before Israel, and turn again with me that I may worship the Lord thy God. And Samuel obliged him. I read all these scriptures to show us, you know, the state of Saul's heart, how that he had succumbed to the work of the flesh, the desire to, con to, be, to be in control. He always wanted people to look at him and say, oh, yes, you are the king. That, that desire for control was stopped on his, his flaws, all right? And um, these scriptures show that. Now, Paul could have checked. At this point, Paul could have still, it was still the work of the flesh. There was nothing still spiritual yet attached to this work of the flesh, all right? Everything was still, at this stage, was still the work of the flesh. And if, you know, if you see, if you see people that just want to, they just want control, they want things to be done their own way. That is the work of the flesh. And the real, the, the real terminology for that expression is called witchcraft. I know, I mean, if you, if you say that to somebody right now, the person might begin to fight you and accuse you for calling him or her a witch. However, that's what the Bible terms it as. The desire to control events or people outside the government of God is really what witchcraft is. All right. So let's look at one more scripture and see how how Paul deteriorated so much. Okay. So First Samuel chapter twenty-eight. First Samuel chapter twenty-eight, verse three. Again, three to three to seven. But we might not read every scripture. I'll just breeze through some um, scriptures quickly. First Samuel chapter twenty-eight, verse three. Okay. So let me just explain. At this point, Samuel had died. And then they were faced with an enemy, all right? The Philistines again came to attack Israel, and Saul was still king at this point. So verse 4 says, And the Philistines gathered themselves um, together and came and pitched in Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel together, and they pitched in Gilboa. Now look at verse 5 and 6. And when Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart greatly trembled. So Saul looked at his enemy and his enemies and he was afraid. His heart sank. Verse 7. Then said Saul unto his servants. No, no, no. Verse 6, sorry. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, not neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. So Saul was afraid of enemies. And he said, let him go and inquire of the Lord. But God did not answer Saul. God didn't answer Saul, whether by dreams or by prophets or by the Urim. God did not answer Saul at all. And Saul was so much afraid. You see, this thing about not being patient for God, that, that started in chapter 13, alright? We see it play out again in chapter 27. In chapter 13, Saul wasn't patient to wait for Samuel to come and do the sacrifice. Sacrifice. Now in chapter 28, Saul wasn't patient for an answer for God from God. God wasn't answering Saul, and Saul decided to take matters into his own hands and say, well, if God is not answering me, I'm going to look for an answer from somewhere else because he always wanted control. And look at verse, look at verse, um, verse 7. And Saul said unto his servants, seek me a woman that hath a familiar spirit, that I may, I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there's this woman that had a familiar spirit at Endor. All right. So as God didn't answer Saul, Saul said, well, as my nature is, I have to look for an answer from somewhere else. So he went to seek for a woman that had a familiar spirit. Pretty much he went to seek for a witch. Okay. And um, this showed how much at the beginning, Saul wasn't considering, you know, the, the spiritual involvement of, 
of a of a demonic spirit. Saul was just doing everything from the work of his flesh, but the work of the flesh had deteriorated so much that Saul depended so so much on control that he couldn't do without control. So when even when God wasn't answering him, he had to create his own method of deriving an answer, and eventually it led him to to um, to involving in the spiritual dimension. Okay. I hope this is clear enough. So, this is what I said here in this slide. I said here that, um, again, like I, let me, like I said earlier, that witchcraft is a desire to control the outcome of an event or people without submitting to the government of God. Okay? So, for instance, um, you want someone who wants to get promotion in his office. Okay? And then... Instead of trusting God for the promotion, of course, I mean, there's the part of doing exams and all of that, but the person wants this promotion at all costs. And so the work of the flesh, right, at this point, prompts him to go on and speak to his manager and probably even try to bribe the manager or do something. If it's a lady, for instance, the lady tries to sleep with her boss so that she can get the promotion. At that point, it is the work of the flesh, okay? If this person continues, 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 it gets to a point where you travel in the flesh that for you to go beyond that point in the flesh, you will need the assistance of a spirit to help you travel beyond that, beyond that point. And that is typically what happens. So this person, for instance, has always been using his own methods and uh, as a product of the work of the flesh to get what he wants. And then a time comes when he desperately wants something and then he begins to involve the spiritual dimension. So he goes to see a witch doctor or goes to see a, spirit, a spiritist or whatever, all right, just to be able to achieve control in that regard, okay? Now, what I said here is every work of the flesh has the potential to deteriorate into a spiritual activity if it is not stopped. Let me take that again, and this is super important. Every work of the flesh has the ability, has the potential, sorry, to deteriorate into a spiritual activity if it is not stopped. So, for instance, Saul initially, he could have stopped the, the, his desire for control, but he didn't control it. He didn't stop it, rather. He continued, 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 until eventually led him to involve the spiritual dimension. And this is true for every work of the flesh, not just witchcraft. I brought out witchcraft because I wanted to just show us a progression. If you look at jealousy, if you look at envy, if you look at anger, if you look at malice, look at every work of the flesh, right? It has the uh, potential to evolve into a spiritual activity if it is not checked immediately, okay? So this is the caution for us. And this is not, again, not to scare us in any way, but this is just a caution for us to, um, to ensure that any work of the flesh that, that shows its raised ugly head we clip it immediately and submit ourselves to the government of the Holy Spirit. All right? Okay, so having said that, we, that's the end of our side gist. Let's go back to the fruit of the Spirit and we'll just conclude on this particular slide. All right? So, we read, again, this is, I'm trying to summarize or give an overview of the fruit of the Spirit, right? So, you can tell that we didn't go into details of listing the fruits and talking about how they express and manifest themselves in our lives all right but i just wanted to give an overview of walking in the spirit and and to show us how that it really walking in spirit means manifesting the fruit of the spirit all right so that is our summary but on the slide here i said 
The fruit of the Spirit represents the government of God in the life of a believer administered by the Holy Ghost, administered by the Holy Spirit. All right? So what the fruit of the Spirit means here is that the fruit of the Spirit represents the government of God. And let's just run through it quickly. Galatians again. Galatians chapter 5, verse 20, um, 22. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temp temperance. Right? All these things listed uh, represent the government of God. Meaning, when, when, when God's government is over a believer's life, these are the things you see growing in the person's life. And if you see a believer that doesn't exemplify these things or these fruits, right? It means that the believer is walking outside the government of God. So the fruit of the Holy Spirit represents the government of God in the life of a believer. So for instance, meekness, let's say meekness for instance. Um, let's say a believer, you know, has a major break, breakthrough and the believer's business blossoms and the believer be begins to earn money in, in millions of dollars. This is imagine this is somebody that that came from let's say a poor background and then God has helped the person begins to end earn money in several millions of, of dollars per month. It is possible for that believer to begin to to it's possible for the believer to allow pride come into his heart or her heart and begin to look down on other people and be, be like, I mean, what do you mean? You can't afford what do you mean by you can't afford a new shoe? And you are you, you are 25 years of age. What have you been doing with your life? And pride begins to come into the believer's heart. So in order for God to establish his government in that believer, God will begin to teach the believer meekness or what we call humility. Such that, and, and God has various ways of teaching the believer humility, but God will teach the believer humility so that when the money is in abundance, he wouldn't look down on his fellow human being. All right? That humility represents the government of God in the believer's life. Okay? For instance, love, um, and, and I, like Matthew teaches us, love your enemies. Don't just love the people that are good to you, but love even the people that hate you. And then God now begins to tell, let's say, a, a, a believer now in his place of work, or in her place of work, um, she has this colleague that makes life difficult for her. And she has just sworn that any opportunity she has, she's going to do her own back. And what, then the Holy Spirit begins to tell her that, you know what, this is your colleague for the next one week. Buy your colleague lunch. And the, the, the believer is like, what do you mean, Lord? This person that has, uh, you know, like we say in Nigeria, has put sand in my gary. Or what that means is this person has been an obstruction to my progress and my, and my enjoyment. All right? And you're asking me to show good to this person. What God is doing is he's establishing his government over that believer's life through the fruit of the Spirit, love. For instance, a, a, another example, a believer might be going through a, a difficult moment in his life. There is no external reason to be joyful. But then God begins to train the believer to be joyful regardless of what is going on around him, him or her. All right. And what that means is God is establishing his government in the believer's life through the fruit of the spirit, joy. And we can go on and on through every fruit. Is it, is it temperance, um, patience? You know, some believers are, are hasty. And you, you know, the, the, the truth is, the fact that someone has given his life to Christ doesn't mean automatically the works of the flesh would just die, okay? If the person was a hot-tempered believer, when he gives his life, a uh, hot-tempered person, sorry, when he gives his life to Christ, there's still a tendency to be a hot-tempered person 
Just that this time, he's a hot-tempered believer. So what God will do is that he will establish his government in the person's temper through the gift, I'm sorry, through the fruit of the Spirit's um, temperance, all right? And then he goes on and on and on. So again, the fruit of the Spirit represents the government of God in the life of a believer administered by the Holy Spirit. Like we said earlier, it is possible for a believer to live in the Spirit and not walk in the Spirit. So it's possible for a believer to be a, a, a genuine believer, born again, but be an angry believer. What that means is that he's not walking in the Spirit. And what that means, again, is that God hasn't, he hasn't, the believer hasn't allowed God to establish his government over his life. And God establishes his government in the life of a believer through the fruit of the Spirit. That is exactly what is called walking in the Spirit. So walking in the Spirit doesn't mean manifesting the fruit, manifesting the gifts of the Spirit. That is not what walking in the Spirit means. Yes, the, the, uh, and, and by God's grace, um, probably by the end of this month or next month, we will study the gifts of the Spirit. But walking in the Spirit is not when I, I give somebody a word of knowledge and they say, mm, you are walking in the Spirit. Or I, I, I give somebody word of wisdom and I, or I manifest the gift of prophecy. No, that is not what walking in the Spirit is. Walking in the Spirit is when a believer allows God to establish his government in his life through the Holy Spirit. All right? And, and um, that's what the fruit of the Spirit is about. All right. So next I said here that God expects us to uh in time okay God expects us to express our spiritual rights and privileges under the government of the Holy Ghost. Let me take that again. God expects us to express our spiritual rights and privileges under the government of the Holy Spirit. Now, for the record, yeah, there are so many God has blessed us with so much, so many things, um, so much. Um, privileges in the realm of the spirit. There are so many things that a being a believer gives you access to in the realm of the spirit. Right? There's so much authority that God has given to us because we are believers. Now, it is possible for you to exercise that authority outside the government of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Remember, when we talk of the government of the Holy Spirit, just picture the fruit of the spirit. Okay? So it's possible for a believer to demonstrate the power of God outside the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You know, you've, I'm sure you must have heard um, pastors or let's just say believers say things like, if you do this, I will cost you. I will cost you. That is not a representation of the, of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You cannot just cost everybody because they, they are against, they go against your opinion or they, they are persecuting you or saying evil against you. You can't just do that. Even though you have the power to do that, the government of God should regulate your use of that power. Do you get what I'm saying? And a very good example, there are some scriptures here we can't read all, but a good example is found in Luke chapter 9, verse 54. And um, what this that story is, um, it should be 54 to something. Let me just open that quickly. Luke chapter 9, verse 50, verse 54. So you should we should start reading from um Verse 51. All right. Let me explain. Let me just narrate it. You can read it um, in your spare time. Luke chapter chapter 9, verse 51 to 54. So Jews wanted to enter a particular city, um, Jerusalem, but they, they did not, sorry, not Jerusalem, wanted to enter Samaria, but they did not receive him. And so out of zeal, James and John said to Jesus, Do you want us to call down fire 
over this city. Let fire devour these people. How would they? How would they say? How would they reject Jesus? Do they know who you are? They, the Son of God, with all your anointing, they rejected you. Just, no, just say the word. We'll call down fire on this on these people. And guess what? Jesus didn't argue with the ability to call down fire. Meaning that if, if they had called down fire, fire would probably had would have come down. But Jesus Christ said to them, you don't know what spirit you are of. Meaning he was telling them that even though you have the ability to call down fire, yet the spirit that operates in you should guide your use of that ability. And that is exactly what God's government represents. And that is exactly what the fruit of the spirit represents in our lives. So you can see, for instance, an anointed person, okay? Anointed person that doesn't have self-control. That anointed person would self-destruct even though he has the anointing. So the person can be anointed but doesn't have self-control. So any, any lady he sees, he just wants to be with the lady. Any time he sees money, he just wants to he, he won't spend the money. At the end of the day, that person will use the anointing to fuel the works of the flesh. All right? The person will use the anointing to fuel the work of the flesh. And that's why you see certain ministers that are anointed genuinely, but they are using the anointing to trade in for money. So it's almost like... Um, it's almost like the anointing has become a commodity. What is now driving them is no longer the fruit of the spirit, but the works of the flesh. Okay? So God expects us to express our spiritual gifts and privileges under the government of the Holy Spirit. You know, remember when we talked about um uh what do we talk? What's the title now? We talked about the canal Christian, all right? Um, we talked about the fact that true maturity is the ability to to Submit yourself to the government of God, which is the fruit of the Spirit, okay? And um, that study is very important. So please go look for it on our podcast. That is really what um, true maturity is. Your ability to submit to the government of the Holy Spirit, okay? And lastly, I said here that you walk in the Spirit to the extent to which you allow the Holy Spirit to regulate your character, activities, and responses in life. Let me take that again. You walk in the Spirit to the extent to which you allow the Holy Spirit regulate your character, activities, and responses in life. So the person that walks in the person that walks in the Spirit is not necessarily the person that can perform miracles. The person that walks in the Spirit is the person who has allowed the Holy Ghost control his character, control his activities, control his responses. Alright? Even the person can be anointed, the person can. You see, you can be on your right eh, in an argument. Let's say you're arguing with your husband or with your wife. You can be right in that argument. You can have all your facts correct that once you lay out your facts, your, your spouse will just shut up. But the Holy Ghost will, will just come and tell you, don't say anything. Anything she says, just say yes, ma. Just be saying yes, I agree. Just be saying I'm sorry. You can be the one, she can be the one at fault. But the Holy Spirit says, just be saying I'm sorry. Don't argue, don't even say but, but, but you did it. Don't mention anything. And in your heart will be your, your body will be your heart will be boiling. You want to give it to her heart. And the Holy Ghost is saying, don't say a word. The person who can allow the Holy Ghost influence his or her responses is the person that is working in the spirit. Never forget the government of God is manifested or is expressed through the gift, sorry, through the fruit of the spirit. So when you can allow patience flow through you, your children or your colleague, they are stepping on your toes, you know they are. You are about to snap and give it to them hot. And the Holy Ghost says, no, be patient with them. You know, that is, that is, that is you walking in the Spirit. 
when you can look you look at money you are in need you are really really in need and there's an opportunity to make money but the means to make the money is not is not legal it's not approved by god and you can look at that opportunity and turn your back at it then you are walking in the spirit all right so that really is what walking in the spirit is when the holy ghost can affect and regulate your character your activities your responses in life you know paul said um that not all things are expedient, but, but not all things, all things are lawful, but not all things are expedient. Meaning there are things that people are doing that is not necessarily a sin, but the Holy Ghost refrains you from indulging in it. When you can yield to such regulation, okay, by the Holy Spirit, then you are walking in the Spirit, okay? And this is all I wanted to share with us today um, about walking in the Spirit. So I hope you learned a thing or two. Um, we have come to the end of today's study all right so this is the point where i take questions from all of us anyone that has a question or wants to share one thing he or she has learned please go ahead and share it with us right if you have a question or you want to um you know share what one thing you learned please go ahead and share with us for those of us on midseller please feel free to type in your questions or your um your 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 highlights or learning points okay and i'll just read it out to everybody okay um so sorry, your hand is up please go ahead yeah that's fine we can hear you go ahead Awesome. Thank you very much, Samuel. Thank you so much, Jesusa. So let me go over what he said, um, just because it was noisy. I'm not sure everybody heard it. And also for those of us on Miss Ella, so I will hear it. So what he said is, you know, we'll talk about conforming to the image of Christ, right? Um, we'll talk about the, staying under the government of God, which 
also means conformity to the image of Christ. And that what God does is God puts us in certain situations that compel us to conform to his image or that compels us to stay under his government. So, for instance, if God wants to work in your, in your life, patience, he wants to develop the fruit of patience in your life, he may send you to a unit that has a, a very terrible boss, right? Or he may send, bring a new colleague into your space that really is just stepping on your toes. And you, of, of course, you'll be upset about it initially. And what happens many times is that people try to bail out of it. They try to find a way out of it, okay? And that happens because many times we're not sensitive to recognize that God is actually trying to work something in our hearts. So what um, Esosa said is the, we should maintain sensitivity in the, in, in the place of uh, prayer, in the secret place, so that we're able to discern when God is trying to work something in us, even though the situation is a very uncomfortable situation. All right? So thank you very much for that. Um, anybody else wants to share? I'll take two more people before we go. I'm either a question or a learning point for you in today's teaching. Hello, everyone. Hi, Edith Young. Good evening. Uh, I have a question. question okay. Um, Okay, thank you very much, uh, Didion. A very interesting question. So let me go over the question again or summarize it um, for those of us on Mixeller. So he was asking and said that for so for a while he wasn't attending church, he was just doing wasn't attending church physically, he was doing it um, online and it was great having fun, worshiping, fellowshiping God. But then he 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 joined a church physically now, and then as he stayed longer in the church and began to get more involved in church. He now realized how much, and I laughed at this part, he realized how much that church people can actually uh, make you angry. Church people can actually step on your toes. 
right? And it, they can step on your toes big time, okay? And then he also talked about stopping habits, um, um, yeah, stopping habits also in relation with, with attending um, fiscal church. So how to manage that part, right? Edijong, am I correct with the second question? Yeah. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So the second part, again, I'm repeating this for the Mixellar audience. All right. So the second part of his question was that the Holy Spirit has been leading him to um, stop setting habits, setting habits that he's used to and they're normal, right? And he's thinking it's almost impossible for him to do that because um, he never used to feel remorseful about them. But now the Holy Spirit is leading him to stop them. Okay. So let me address these two things um, quickly. First of all, right? Um, the way God, the way God works to deal with our character is by placing us among people that would touch the areas that he wants us to begin. He wants to work on us at, you get that? So for instance, and I, I keep making this example, when I share my story, right? I used to think I was a very nice guy. Like I used to boast myself that I'm a nice guy. I'm a patient man. Up until I met my wife, you know, when we started dating, I now found out that more, I still had a lot of impatience in my heart. I still had a lot of character improvements to make. But I didn't know this because I was not in a certain kind of relationship. If you had asked all my friends around me, they'll tell you Victor is a nice person. But the moment I got into an intimate relationship, right, leading to marriage, I, I, was, that, I was only, I mean, I was... It was that relationship that point that brought out the that revealed that there were certain areas I still needed to work on. This is how God does it. When He wants when He wants to work on certain aspects of our characters, what He does is that He places He introduces certain people into our lives, introduces um, um, certain relationships, and places us in certain circles, so that it would instigate it would stir up that character flow and bring it to the surface. And he can now point our attention to it and say, you see, I want you to work on this area. Now, this doesn't mean that the people may have may not have their own um, flaws and their own mistakes. In fact, somebody may outrightly be a be a was it be a mean person, but in that meanness, God is saying that I want you to work on your patience and self-control. So the person may be mean to you, but God will say, Don't respond or don't say a word about this. And you'll be boiling on the inside, but God says don't respond. What will now happen is every time you obey, you yield to God. The part of your flesh that always wants revenge, always wants to talk back, that, that part of your flesh will keep dying. The first day the person says something mean to you, I want to lash the person. And God says, don't say anything. You literally be holding your words in your mouth and you'll be like, hmm. After that instant passes away, that part of you that wants to respond will die. 
And with every encounter, it will die, it will die. It will get to a point that when somebody says something mean to you, you will be amazed at yourself that the desire to respond back is no longer there. And that is a proof of, the, of maturity in character, where the desire has been completely killed. At the beginning, the desire is there. You have to force yourself not to respond. But as you proceed, the desire begins to die and die and die until one day somebody will literally slap you and you just tell the person, go. You don't, you don't even desire to respond to the person's actions anymore. Alright? So God many times uses people as his... Ah, there's a passage in scripture. I can't find it now, but it implies that God uses people as his correction mechanism. He uses people as his rod of correction. In some way, I think in the book of Psalms, that when God wants to correct us, he uses people as his rod. You know, the Bible says, thy rod and thy staff um, is with me, right? Psalmist said that. That rod is for correction. The staff is for guidance. The way God corrects people is by sending other people. What that means is when God wants to correct a character flow in your life, he uses people as the rod to correct that character flow. So I'll say to you, Edidion, now that you begin to interact with people, and of course, church people are, are very much humans, and when you get to church, you meet people that are both mature, immature, everything. So they will step on your toes. In fact, like my pastor said, if you go to a church and nobody has offended you in that church, you are not yet fully integrated in the church. There is no way somebody in church will not offend you. So it is expected. Jesus Christ said, offenses will come. What you will now determine is your response and how mature you will grow through that experience. Okay? Second thing you mentioned about habits. First thing I'm going to tell you that, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. First thing I'm going to tell you is that with what you are describing, it means that God wants to take you to a higher level of intimacy and fellowship with him. But the barrier to that level are those things that God is demanding for you to place on the altar of sacrifice. Meaning that God wants to, God wants to take you to a more intimate relationship with him, but he's requesting that those, you stop those habits. Now, I don't know what those habits are, but they may not necessarily be bad in themselves. Okay, so for instance, somebody may have may just have a custom of watching movies. Watching movies in itself is not a bad thing. But when God begins, begins to demand that you cut down the movies you watch or even stop watching movies for that season, then God wants to elevate you to a higher level in the realm of the spirit. And the sacrifice to get to that realm is, the, is what he's asking you to stop. Okay, so first thing I want you to note is that God, God, really God wants to take it to a higher level, but you need to may, submit to the demands of stopping those habits. They may, may or may not be bad habits in themselves, but whatever God asks you to do, then stop it, right? Secondly is that every time God requires something of you, right, it is because he is giving you the grace to do it. You may not feel engraced, you may not feel like I can do it right now, but the moment you yield, you know, the Bible says, if you are willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. The first thing there is willingness. The second thing there is obedience. Okay. He says, if you are willing, so the willingness, willingness precedes obedience. All right. However, even then, God now explains to us in Philippians 2 um, verse 30, 13 that it is God who works in you both to will and to do. Meaning the moment you submit to God, even the willingness to do it, he will supply it. And the power to execute, he will also supply it. So if you look at it in, in, in reality, 
you are actually not spending from your own strength. You are actually spending the grace of God. Even the willingness to stop it, God will supply it. The moment you yield, you say, okay, God, I agree to your demands. God will begin to work in your heart, both to will and also to do according to his good pleasure. All right? Um, so I hope that helps. Don't forget, a new level is coming for you the moment you submit to this. You yield to this, and then God is not asking you to do something that He's not going to embrace you to do. All right, I hope that was helpful, Edidion. Last person, what? Okay, you're welcome. All right, what did you learn today? Or oh, one question. Last person. Oh, wow, we're out of time. Okay, I can't take another person again. We have to close now. All right, so let us spend um, just 40 seconds in prayer. And the prayer is this Lord, Help me to nurture the, the fruit of your spirit within my life. Okay? Let us pray that prayer for the next, say, 30 seconds. Lord, help me to nurture the fruit of the spirit within my life. I know you are working. I know you are trying to develop patience. I know you are trying to develop in me joy. I know you are trying to work in me the expression of love. I know you are trying to develop in me temperance, long-suffering. Lord, I ask that you help me to develop, the, uh, to nurture the fruit of your, of your spirit within my life. That I will not, I will not um, exit the process that is supposed to to help me develop the fruit of the spirit. I will not ignore the process that you are taking me through that will help me develop the fruit of the spirit. Lord, help me, help me to nurture the fruit of the spirit within my life. In the name of Jesus, if it's my, my place of work, you are using people to, to, to strengthen my character. If you are teaching me certain lessons, Lord, help me, help me, help me to submit to your government and nurture the fruit of your spirit within my life. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. All right, Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. We are grateful for all you've taught us today. We ask again that you help us to be intentional about nurturing the fruit of your spirit within us that will submit to your government and will submit to your leadership in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. All right, before we go, I'm just going to do one thing. Please, if this is your first time joining us, whether on Mixellar or on or on, um, on Zoom, please just indicate, um, let us know that this is your first time. Just tell us who you are who invited you and where you are joining us from. We'll just do that quickly. Anybody like that joining us for the first time, please tell us who you are, um, who invited you and where you are joining us from. Anyone like that? Anyone like that? Anyone like that? Okay, I don't see anyone. All right, so let's close. Um, please join us again next week, same time, same link. And um, and the same Holy Spirit. All right. So remember, we have a Mixellar link. So if you are inviting people, please share with them the link so that they can they know there's an option to join on Mixellar. All right. God bless you, everyone. Thank you for joining us. I'm just going to stay back, you know, for the next say two minutes in or three minutes in case anyone wants to um, say hi to me or chit chat. I'll be back. But otherwise, we are done for today. God bless you. Have a lovely, lovely rest of your day. Bye. Good night. Anyone saying hi to me? All right. Good night, everyone.
Good night, everyone. All right. Yes. To